Huh. What are all these lumps on your belly, Snuggles? Are you okay? Oh, sorry. I totally did not realize that was your chest. Welcome back to Six Degrees of Cats, a podcast about how cats have shaped our past, present, and future. The date is March 30th, 1996. The setting? An abandoned garage in East New York, a neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. A fire is burning, and firefighter David Ginelli of Ladder Company 175 is among the first responders to the scene. There, he spies three kittens, very young ones, just outside the door. He looks to his left. Two more crying along with their siblings, all far too young to have gotten themselves to safety. Gianelli surveys the area, and his eyes are drawn to some movement near his feet. Covered in soot, with patches of smoking fur and visible injuries, he comes to realize that this small creature is, in fact, a cat. In the seconds before he signals for backup, he has two startling realizations. First, that this was the kitten's mother. And second, it was she who made the repeated trips into the burning building to rescue each of those five kittens. That brave little kitty, a calico female of about nine months old at the time, became known across the world as the heroic mother cat of the year. Her name became Scarlet. In feline legends of yore, she is hailed as Brunhilda the Burning. Sorry, couldn't help myself. All kittens were rescued, treated, and adopted. And someone rescued Scarlet, too. She was adopted and lived out her days in comfort and care. When this hit the news outlets, it really struck a chord, not only among cat aficionados, but for all those who were just blown away by this cat's sacrifices for her kittens, her maternal instincts, the lengths a mother will go to protect her own. Wow. You know, she's not the only one. As a surprise to no one, I happen to have lots of these news items on my radar. Let's hear it for Canadian mama cat Minka, who rescued her babies from a burning barn. I think we need to be better about fire safety. Jeez. The emerging pattern across this season of Six Degrees of Cats is continuing to become clearer. In our last few episodes, we covered the cat fertility connection and how it's been long treasured by those such as the ancient Egyptians and later even the Norse, as we discussed regarding their goddesses such as Egypt's Bast and Cybele and Freya. At first, it seemed to just be fertility, but it's really starting to be more about maternity and motherhood. Very timely. At the time of this episode's release, it's going to be just before Mother's Day here in North America. So, what better time to go back to those cat mother goddesses? In the here and now, 
the quote-unquote modern age. We've displaced magic and the workings of gods and goddesses as the first explanation for all the very magical and mysterious things about this world. But if you really think about it, for millions, no, billions across the world, there's definitely still magic to be found by way of, well, miracles. Performed by not quite gods or goddesses, but godly figures who have allegedly performed extraordinary acts that almost seem superhuman. What I'm talking about right now are saints. And yeah, there actually are some out there affiliated with cats. So, in this episode of Six Degrees of Cats, we'll sort of be talking about a magical mother goddess here, sort of, in the form of a saint who performed miracles and is, sort of, associated with cats. Mother is a verb. Throughout this discussion on mothers and motherhood, this statement will become clearer and clearer. So, Mother's Day. In the United States, that happens in May. Incidentally, Traditionally in the Catholic Church, the month of May is associated with the Virgin Mary. That was Renee Ostberg. I'm a writer based outside Chicago. I write about uh, Catholic culture. My website is reneeosberg.com. Mary's kind of the mother of all saints, but we're not really here to talk about Mary today. I consulted with Renee to start our discussion about those saints. Well, specifically, one saint. St. Gertrude of Nivelle. Does that ring a bell? If it sounds familiar, okay, we're good guys. It's likely thanks to a meme on the internet that's been circulating for the past few years around the time that St. Patrick's Day rolls around. Maybe you know that meme. The one with a female saint either depicted in stained glass or in a painting with a cat at her feet or in her arms with the caption, It happens every year. Patrick this and Patrick that. No one remembers me and my cats. I'll link this image in the show notes, though it's hard to track down its original author. As with all stories, this one has been, well, misinterpreted. First off, let me be clear, she is not French. That was a misinterpretation on my side. Modern Day Nouvelle is a French community in the country of Belgium, though, in my defense, it wasn't called that in St. Gertrude's time. Anyway, I'm thankful to have had Renee on hand to clarify all of that and certainly dive into who St. Gertrude of Nivelle was and why she's even connected with cats. She loved cats, right? Maybe she had a cat. Maybe she loved cats. We don't know. There's nothing that people have been able to find in her time. The biographies of her, definitely like rats and mice, but not cats until the late 20th century. Originally, she was designated as um, the patron saint of gardeners and travelers, and she was invoked against mice and rats, which makes sense because if you're the patron saint of gardeners, who is the enemy of gardens? Mice and rats. That was how she was associated for a long time, like in the medieval era. If there were any animals in the art that shows um, St. Gertrude, it was a mouse or a rat or several mice, several rats running around her feet or running up her staff, the crozer, the crook that she carried with her. 
Those were the animals that were associated with her, not cats. I get it, but still, how'd she get named the patron saint of cats? It seems like this idea of her being the patron saint of cats didn't come into being until pretty recently. The earliest association with cats I could find was in the 80s. This is the 1980s now. There was a catalog from the Metropolitan Museum of Art about metropolitan cats that mentions her. Somehow she became associated with cats and probably because if she's invoked against rats and mice, who else do you call upon to get rid of rats and mice? Well, cats, of course. And so I think somehow she must have become associated with cats. Ah, she was a cat, kind of. It seems like maybe people really wanted there to be a patron saint of cats. This is pretty recent, and people embraced it. There's a patron saint of dogs, so why not cats? Yeah, why not cats? So there you go. Happy Mother's Day. St. Gertrude is the mother of cats. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Six Degrees of Cats. Hold up. That's not quite the whole story. There's so much more to talk about when it comes to Gertrude and mothers. After the break. Before the break, we learned a bit about St. Gertrude of Nivelle, the closest thing to a cat goddess of this modern era, I guess. But Gertrude's saintly journey is really a story of a mother performing near miracles to protect her child. Remember what I said about mother is a verb? Back to Renee. St. Gertrude of Nivelle, she was born into this very wealthy noble family in the 7th century. Her birth year is usually given around 626. She was born in Nivelle, which is a city in modern-day Belgium. Her mother was named Ita. She was supposedly the daughter of a bishop, and her father was Pepin I. He was a very high-ranking official in the palace of several Frankish kings. He was the mayor of the palace of Austrasia. She was the youngest child of four. Just to give you an association of how well-connected her family was and how powerful they were. Her elder sister married another nobleman. They had a son named Pepin II, and this would have been Gertrude's nephew. And Pepin II became the ruler of the entire Frankish Empire. And then down the line, one of his descendants was Charlemagne, the first emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. This is a very powerful, noble family. Ita herself, like most noble women of her era, was literally born to marry a powerful man with a lot of wealth and resources. And embedded in that responsibility, bearing children to continue the line of her husband's family so that they could maintain their property and wealth. Let's take a moment to reflect on the fact that Ita even gestated and delivered Gertrude in the first place. Birth can be very wonderful, and it can also be very hard on the body. And same goes for pregnancy, and it affects bodies in different ways. 
if someone were to get pregnant four times, each pregnancy might impact their body slightly differently. That was Jade Hillary, who we heard from earlier in this season. I currently work for the National Office at Planned Parenthood Federation of America as a training and learning design director. But I also hold titles and um, work as a labor of love as a full spectrum doula in the D.C. metropolitan area. I serve and support families from birth through loss and everything in between. Jade's work and training has granted her a very holistic understanding of pregnancy and what it does to the body. The general impacts that carrying a pregnancy can yield. Your pelvic floor is very important for day-to-day functioning. As someone is carrying anywhere from a 4 to 10-pound baby, that weighs on pelvic floor muscles. That impacts their core, which includes their lower back. It's not just about the abs. It includes your trunk area. People's feet swell. People might develop gestational diabetes. It's not until people are going through some of these journeys and, you know, having impacts to their teeth or pubic bone symphysis pain and things like that, the myriad of other things that they might experience, they're then finding out, oh, that's common. We just don't talk about it. That's a lot to go through, just getting through all of that. I cannot personally speak to the birthing process, having never gone through it, but I do know someone who has. My name is Alem Tedaneka. My pronouns are she and her. I work in media. I'm also a mom, a stepmom to a 12-year-old and a mom to a soon-to-be three-year-old. Quick sidebar. Yes, it is a true fact that cats are cuter than babies, but there's always an exception to the rule. Examples being any baby I'm friends with by proxy or related to. Back to the wonderful Alem. She was kind enough to speak to me about her own experiences. I guess in my second trimester, Sonia moved for the first time. And I remember the awe and joy I saw in my husband's face. And all I could feel was complete horror because it was just so bizarre to feel a foreign object move within my body. It truly felt like an alien was living in there. And that's the thing people don't talk about. I mean, they talk about this sense of like joy and wonder, which there is, but there's also a lot of freaky that happens. You don't know how you're going to feel about it's it's such a surreal thing. Your brain is being rewired, right? And your hormones, it's all shifting so that your normal ability to self-regulate your emotion completely changes. And those changes that the body is making to accommodate, well, here's how that feels for some. They call it morning sickness. That's a lie. It's sickness and nausea all throughout the day. And it's just constant. And you're expected to act like it's not happening. You're always, always tired because your body is slowly reshaping itself to grow the uterus, to expand your pelvis. It's truly insane what happens during these like nine to 10 months. You know, the majority of my third trimester, I started getting a lot of swelling, which is pretty typical, usually in the feet, but I got it in my hands and it 
got so bad that I couldn't make a fist. I couldn't even crush a piece of paper in my hands. The doctors and the midwives were pretty blasé about it. That happens. Don't worry about it. And I was like, um, no, I'm losing the use of my hands. And they were also very comfortable with saying, well, once you have the baby, it'll be okay. I had the baby and it took a full month. Yeah, it's just a wild ride. Since the beginning of time, this has been part of pregnancy. Through medical and technical innovations, war, carried through by those with as few or as many resources as you can imagine. Just what makes this all bearable? Folks do best and are able to birth when they feel safe and cared for and loved and they're in safe environments. Jade advises her clients accordingly. Think about your environment. Think about the signals that your body's giving off. Think about what that does for you. I'm not the first by any means to speak to the next level hard work it takes to carry on through a pregnancy. But it still feels like we have taken it for granted just how much it takes to survive a pregnancy. Back to Ita and her time, I kind of shudder to imagine. Anesthesia, the autoclave, epidurals, and even privacy. The basics of healthcare? Centuries away. I'm sure there were wise midwives whose presence and healing knowledge heavily contributed to successful deliveries. But overall, the process of carrying a child and then forcefully expelling it from the body was a very, very uncomfortable process. Understatement of the year. The stakes were as high as life and death. Ita survived. That's a big miracle right there. I hope I don't need to convince you that pregnancy and giving birth is a big aspect of mothering. But, you know, it's not actually the primary demarcation of mothering. Many folks, myself and my cats included, were not mothered by the one who carried us. Not to downplay childbirth, but it's so much deeper than that. What you realize is how fragile they are. There is this overwhelming sense of need to guard this precious being in whatever manner that I can. Part of mothering is being somebody who senses and responds to that sense of urgency and care. That's where Ita's mothering really shines. Let's get back to Renee on Gertrude. In this time, girls did not have any say really in who they married, and especially girls from noble families. They were very susceptible to being kidnapped and carried off. These predatory men would want to get their hands on a girl who was wealthy or came from a noble family because then that would give them access to power and wealth themselves. Her mother seemed to understand that Gertrude was vulnerable. When she was around 10 years old, her father hosted a banquet for the king at the time, King Dagobert. 
and the king wanted to set her up in marriage with a duke. Amazingly, Gertrude just flat out refused. She said she was not going to marry this duke. She wasn't going to marry any man. Christ alone would be her bridegroom. Not long after that, her father died and the king died as well. And what's wonderful is that her mother basically, you know, supported her daughter instead of trying to marry her off. Her mother sought to protect her. She consulted a local bishop to build a double monastery on their property. One monastery was for men and one was for women. She put Gertrude in charge of the monastery for women. And so Gertrude was the abbess of this convent, so to speak. When her mother died in 652 or so, Gertrude became the abbess of this entire monastery, an abbot or an abbess who leads the monastery, normally handle the administration. So much to say about, well, everything about that life. Let's just focus on Ita. She protected her daughter from a predator. And in the process, she also made sure her daughter was sheltered. And last but not least, she even set her daughter up with a career. One she actually wanted. I bet you anything, Ita was not the only resourceful guardian of her era who went to great creative lengths to protect someone she was meant to care for. But it's a really cool story, and I happened upon it when I was researching St. Gertrude, the patron saint of cats. I'm telling you, this is what Six Degrees of Cats is all about. I really don't think humans have the monopoly on this ability to mother. The fundamentals are found in all species. I love this next anecdote. My sister had this cat named MJ and she had a litter of kittens. And I remember hearing just the complete surprise in my dad's voice when he talked about how MJ took care of her kittens. He said he didn't understand how profound a mother's love was for her kids until he saw how she took care of her kittens. You could tell even after giving birth how tired she was, but how much she devoted herself to those little babies. One of them passed away and you could tell she was heartbroken. That love is transcendent. I bet this is one of the many maternal vignettes that led to the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Norse, and other societies to recognize and appreciate this cross-species phenomena, and to associate it especially with kitties. Protecting, caring, all that stuff is way too much to handle alone. Remember, though, how I said that mother is a verb? Well, it takes community to mother. The thing that I learned the most about having kids is you need community. You can't do this alone. You need it to support you because it's hard (laughs) physically, but also emotionally because you cannot raise children in a vacuum. They need people. They need people and you need people. Mothering is bigger than all of us, isn't it? 
The role comes with multiple visible and invisible, large and tiny duties that across time and many cultures seems to have been assigned in totality to a single individual. Which is totally absurd. Raising someone else? Protecting them? Caring for them? That's on all of us. We all can, and in fact must, play a part in the role of mothering. I hope you're looking at birth and mothering through a very different lens now. If we were really doing it right, I don't think anybody could actually say they didn't have kids. Or kittens, for that matter. Or puppies. You get my drift. So, today and every day, I celebrate all those who mother by doing what I can to look out for and support those in my care. This one's for you. And me. You know what? I'm a cat mom. That counts. Where's my card? Oh yeah, you don't have thumbs. You can't write. In the next episode, I will in fact be talking to another mom. The mom of a budding scientist. Because we'll be talking about science. I want to thank my wonderful experts. Renee Ostberg. Zalem Tedaneka. And Jade Hillary. And my co-executive producers and my fur children, Binky and Snuggles. While the opinions are my own, the research and work is theirs. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check out our show notes, which is also where you can find the references and research that went into this episode. If you loved it, please give us a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell all the magical people in your life about us, and maybe even thank them for mothering you. You know, actually, that might be a little weird. Maybe don't do that. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you. Everything is connected. Six Degrees of Cats is produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Captain Kitty, a.k.a. Amanda B. Please subscribe to our mailing list by visiting tinyurl.com slash sixdegreesofcats or find us on all those social media platforms. And for my paid subscribers you'll have access to the extra audio with more deep dives by our experts. This and all episodes are dedicated to the misunderstood, the marginalized, the resilient, and the weird. And, of course, all the cats we've loved and lost. I inadvertently and unintentionally now have two cats. They are half-feral. The patience they have shown to my daughter, and you can imagine, a toddler is not gentle. She tries, and it is completely unpredictable, which is why she terrifies them. But they have learned to accept her because they know she is our kitten. There is a gentleness in these cats that you wouldn't expect from two feral cats. They have been incredibly patient with her. I mean, they also run away, but they've been patient. <laughs> <laughs>